0: Christian Church. My name is Mike Skinner. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. We are glad that you have joined us for worship this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and open up to 1 Peter for me. 1 Peter chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, um, there should be a black hardback underneath the seat around you. If you'd like to, you're more than welcome to grab one of those and flip open with us this morning. Um, Every Sunday we'll have kind of a text that we come out of, and so this morning we'll be in 1 Peter 4. Um, We'll start in verse 7 and go through verse 11. I don't know, is it just me, or does it feel kind of Christmassy today in the last couple days? I don't know if it's the weather. I'm in my Mr. Rogers cardigan, okay? I woke up and I was like, I don't know what's going on, but it feels a little Christmassy. And then in first service this morning, they sang Christmas hymns. And I was like, all right, now I don't even know where I am or what's going on in the world around me. Only one. Only one, but it was enough. It was enough to disorient me. Um, But it's a nice weather without the rain so far. And so I'm glad that you have joined us this morning. Um, We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 as we continue on in our series called Life at FCQ where we are just kind of talking about some of the things we want to be as a church and some of the ways that perhaps um, we can work towards being that uh, as, a, as a body of Christ together, moving forward into the future. One of my favorite um, stories from the scriptures involves Peter, okay, who, who writes this book, 1 Peter. He writes two books, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And it's fun because you can kind of see how Peter's own life experiences play into some of the things he writes. And so Peter was present for one of, again, one of my favorite stories about Jesus. It's found in John 13. Jesus is um, coming to the end of his ministry, his life on earth. He's been healing people. He's been exercising demons out of people. He's been preaching to large crowds. He's been having interactions with various groups of people. And in John 13, a kind of shift takes place in the book of John where Jesus starts to disengage the world and kind of focus in on his disciples and prepare them for what's going to come to prepare them for what's going to happen with his death and resurrection and ascension and get them ready for the mission ahead of them and in John 13 the first thing he does is he gives them kind of an object lesson about what it is that he's called them to do and to be in the world and so they gather together for a meal mm-hmm. And in the first century, what would have happened when you were walking into a room for a meal is you would have had a servant who would have cleaned your feet. Um, You would have been wearing sandals. We have fairly good foot hygiene, okay, in the twenty first century compared to first century. You'd be wearing sandals, you'd be walking on dusty, dirty roads, your feet would get kind of kind of nasty, okay, kinda grimy. And so to go into the house, there would usually be a servant who would clean off your feet with a basin of water and a towel, and then you would come in and enjoy the dinner. And so as they prepared for dinner and the disciples were coming in, Jesus took on the role of this servant. And he picked up the towel and he knelt down Mm -hmm. and and started to go around the room and clean his disciples' feet. And at first, they were very offended, right? They are very much, I mean, we've been following you for three years, okay? We're, we're on board. We understand you're the king of the entire world. You're bringing in God's kingdom. Don't touch our feet, right? You are not our servants, right? We are your servants. Peter himself, right, is very bold about this. I will never let you wash my feet, And Jesus has to go, if you don't let me do this, then I'm going to kick you out of this whole deal. Peter's like, all right, well, then wash my whole body then. And she's like, no, just your feet, okay? Calm down, Peter. (laughs) Peter's always kind of a little ahead of the game. Jesus goes around the room, and he washes the disciples' feet in this real intimate act of service, where one, he takes on the role of a servant, and then two, I mean, if you think about it, foot washing. It's interesting, historically, different groups actually will practice this as a kind of a Christian ritual, Um, Seventh-day Adventists Consider this um, Almost on par with Things like communion Or baptism And that if you're a Christian It's a physical thing That you do That Jesus commands you Is you actually wash The feet of somebody else I've always thought though That if you wanted to Wash Moses' feet In obedience to this, this Command that Jesus Gives disciples you'd probably need to have them go walk in some dirt first, right? I mean, go really muddy up their feet. That's, and then you've got to get in there between the toes, and it gets... I mean, it's awkward and intimate, and it's this intense level of service. And Jesus does this for the disciples, and then he says, this is what you're supposed to do. This is your role in the world. This is why I came into the world. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to be a servant, and when I leave, you need to remember that you are not supposed to be served, but you are supposed to be a servant to the world. You're supposed to pick up a towel and not seek for a title. The role of a Christian is not to go after it and chase after titles and status, but it's instead to to seek towels, to seek ways that we can serve. Now, I will say, um, you've got to be careful in applying this command of Jesus. One of my favorite stories about Michelle, our our lovely singer up here, her husband Zach is, um, one of the first times we ever met Zach was at a staff meeting. And so it was myself and Michelle. Janelle was there. Chris Henderson, our worship leader, was there. Zach was there. And if you know Chris Henderson, you know that Chris had childhood cancer. And with some of the treatment and stuff that happened, he had some nerve damage in his feet. And so if you've ever noticed, he's usually barefoot up here on stage. I've had people come who's visited the church a couple times and come up to me afterwards and come like, why does the worship pastor not wear shoes? Like, is he someone like hippie or that kind of thing? I'm like, well, he is, but that's not why. He's, he, there's actually like a medical reason, okay? Most of the time he just has shoes off. So we're, we're sitting around. Chris has his shoes off like normal, Okay. And Zach, who's just a very touchy-feely guy, um, but again, it's kind of one of our first encounters with him, reaches over and grabs Chris's feet, which Chris violently reacts towards. (laughs) Because not only this is Chris a little off-put, maybe, by the fact that this man is touching his foot, but he has sensitive feet, right? I mean, to you and I, it would just be maybe a normal touch. But to him, again, this is like, there's nerve damage there. This is not something that's comfortable for him. And so we've always kind of joked around with Zach, okay, that, hey, just FYI, don't give people foot massages the first couple times we met them. But I have a new theory, actually, now. I have a new theory. The new theory is... Zach saw Chris's feet and thought they looked a little bit dirty <laughs> and decided he was going to wash them and just take Jesus' command real seriously here. I mean, Chris has his shoes off a lot. He saw some dirt under a nail, okay, and said, I know what I'm going to do. Jesus told me to wash his feet. And so you've got to be careful. I'm sure Zach left that evening going, man, these people really don't take Jesus seriously. <laughs> We're going to have a, a lot of work to do with them. You've got to be careful when you <laughs> apply this, Okay. Um, but Jesus is real clear, right? This object lesson to Peter. And I think as we read First Peter 4, you'll see that this lesson sunk in to Peter. So again, we're going through some of the things that our church that we want to be known for, that we want to be our distinctives. We've talked about engaging our minds. We want to known, be known for being intellectual, for being able to question, for being able to have doubts, for being able to search the scriptures and really dive into them. Um, last week we talked about community. We want to be known as a tight-knit community that know and love each other. And then this week we want to talk about service,? Okay? We want to be known as people who, who find ways to pick up a towel and to serve the people around them. This is one of our core values of the church, serving selflessly. This is who we want to be. And so um, to do that, let's look at First Peter chapter four. We'll pick it up in verse seven and then go through verse 11. First Peter four, verse seven through 11. As one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Okay, you see a couple things here in this passage before we will dive into this command to serve. The first is in verse 7, the context that sets it all up is, is, Peter's understanding of his place and time. Okay, he says the end of all things is near. Now, when we hear that, I think we normally think of street preachers. Okay, when I was in New York, there, we passed by street preachers with signs saying the world's about to end. Okay, repent! Fire's about to come down. The history's about to be over. That's what we think of. The early Christians thought that they were in the end times. Okay, but they thought of the end times differently than you and I think of the end times. So instead of maybe thinking of the end times as a time when history itself will end and the world will end, perhaps we should think of it as the end of time as we know it, or the end of the world as we know it. You see, the Jewish people were waiting for God to come and act dramatically and change the world to bring healing and to bring peace and to bring joy and to pour out His Holy Spirit. And the early Christians thought with Jesus, He had done that. And that indeed, the end had started with Jesus. And while they may have thought Jesus' second coming was going to be a little sooner than it turns out it has been, I don't think they would recant statements like this. I don't think Peter, knowing history had continued on for 2,000 years, would say anything different. We're in the same situation. God has done something dramatically in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The world has changed. He has created a community of people full of the Spirit to go out into the world to be a blessing. And this is the context for the commands that Peter then gives his congregation. He says, Because the end of all things is at hand, because of what God has started in Christ, therefore, he gives us some commands. One, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded, and he gives us a reason for the sake of your prayers. This is an interesting reason. He says your, your, your prayer life is going to require that you be self-controlled, that you be sober-minded Um, I perhaps think Peter's thinking about an encounter he had with Jesus, where Jesus, before his death, goes to pray with Peter and James and John. And you remember Peter, James, and John, with the help of some wine, had a hard time staying awake that evening. And Jesus returns repeatedly and says, You can't stay up for a couple of hours and pray with me in my time of need. And Peter realizes because of what's happening, because of the tasks that we have, because of what God has done in our world, we need to be self-controlled, we need to be sober-minded, we need to be constantly aware and focused on what's going on so that we can pray appropriately. So that we can pray with clarity, so that we can pray with focus. He gives a second command, above all. So this is kind of the most important thing. If there's one thing you got, above all, he says, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, he gives us a reason for the command. Love one another. Why? Because it covers a multitude of sins, which is an interesting way to think about love. Um, this seems to be echoing a proverb. Proverbs ten twelve says that hatred causes strife, but love covers offenses. Hatred causes strife, but love covers offenses. The idea seems to be that the more you love somebody, the more willing you are to forgive and overlook certain sins in their lives. Paul says that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. We love one another and we keep loving one another. And in this way, this is going to help us get over the fact that you and I are going to hurt each other on occasion. I'm a high school teacher. I had a student recently who had not gotten a very good grade on his first quiz in my class. It happens a lot and uh so he he had kind of bombed his first quiz and he's, a, he's a great guy a lot of fun and he worked so hard for the second quiz okay and i knew he had busted his tail for the second quiz he came in the day of the quiz and was reviewing all the information in his mind with his friends he was walking in and he knew it all perfectly i knew he was going to get 100 on the quiz i was already proud of him before he even took it it's a small class so it's only six people and so they take the quiz It only takes him about 20 minutes or so, and so I collect it up, and I'm looking through it, and I see his quiz, and I realize he's made a horrible mistake in that he didn't realize there was a back side of the quiz, which actually contains 60 points worth of the quiz. And I'm going, oh, man, buddy. And I know, actually, he knows all of this material. He worked very hard for all this material. And so I had the chance as a teacher, right, to... Put the papers away and grade them later and teach him an object lesson about being careful about turning the page over before you turn in your quiz but because i knew how hard he had worked and because i knew he actually knew the material and i had the opportunity because it was a small class and we had time left i said hey buddy take this quiz back and and do this side of it for me and he did it and got a hundred on it in the classroom sometimes hard work covers mistakes does that make sense if a teacher can tell you're working really hard that will cover some of the little mistakes that you might make that we all make on occasion i think this seems to be the the same way it works in the christian community um if, if i'm focused on loving you if i'm focused on loving the people around me perhaps they'll be able to to overlook and to deal and to forgive some of the the slights that i cause on the way when they know that my heart is pure when they know that my intent is genuine when they know that i'm i'm trying my best to love them as well as i can love he says covers over a multitude of sins then the fourth or the third command he says show hospitality to one another without grumbling hospitality literally is like the love of of a stranger the love of an alien the love of the other um, this is not a virtue in our culture. We're, we're not great at being hospitable, but this was a virtue in the ancient culture. You, you would actually, um, almost there's this unwritten rule in like desert villages, societies, that if someone showed up at your door and asked, you would grant them three days of shelter and food um, because you knew that one day in your travels, right, you might need someone to take you into your house. Um, and so he says, show hospitality. Be able to open up your life to strangers, Be able to give away your time to strangers. Be able to invite into your family strangers. Be hospitable people. Do it without grumbling, without complaining. And then here's what we'll zero in this morning, verse 10. As each has received a gift, Paul says, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God would be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So he says, as Christians, we've all received gifts. We all have these different talents, these different resources. Some of us have some more money than other people do. Some of us have more time than other people do. Some of us have personalities that enable us to do certain things or to take care of certain needs. And he says, Use all of these gifts, these varied gifts, and use them to serve the people around you. He says you're stewards of these gifts. They've been given to you not so that you can hoard them, but so that you can wisely distribute them to the people God's placed in your life. Right now, I think there's specific people in your life, specific people in our church community that are here, and you have something for them. God's given you something—a gift. And you're a steward, and it's your responsibility to find that need and to distribute, to meet it, to serve one another. Now, this is not popular, again, in our our, our culture. I don't think we're taught this virtue of service, Okay, of taking up a towel. I think when we are brought up, we are brought up to seek titles, to seek status, to try to attain higher and higher levels of being able to be served and not to serve. But Christ says, no, we, we pick up our towel. And we lay down our titles. Christ says, we didn't, he didn't come to, to be served. He came to serve. And as Christians, we don't come to the world to be served. We come to the world to serve. I think even in churches, sometimes we've, we've had this cultural ideology infiltrate our mindsets. And so we, we attend church. We go to church with this mindset of, how will the church serve me? in my needs instead of how might we serve this church how might we meet certain needs that this church has the Paul's call here is clear and obvious as good stewards of all the gifts that God has given you use it to serve the people around you whether through word or through action serve serve and serve some more and so Three things I'd like to say about service this morning as we focus in on this command, use our gifts to serve others. The first thing I want to point out is that you and I as Christians are called to serve, I think, because God has first served us. Just like we sang earlier, we are chasing after God because he first changed after, chased after us. Most of the commands we're given in the Bible are commands to imitate God. And they only make sense in as far as we understand that God has done these things for us. So when we understand that God has served us, we're able to then go and serve other people. If you find somebody who's not serving other people, I think you've found somebody who hasn't fully thought through all the different ways that God has served them. Peter's able to wash the feet of those around him because Jesus has once washed his own feet. There's a theological basis. There's a truth about God behind almost all of these commands. So to be self-controlled for your prayer life, Jesus, again in the Garden of Gethsemane, is very self-controlled for his prayer life. Later on in John, after this foot-washing incident, Jesus will pray for his church, his disciples. He'll pray for you and I, actually, for those who would come to believe in the future, that we'd be one, that we'd have the Spirit, that we'd remember his teachings, that we'd go out in power into the world. As Christians, we believe that right now Jesus is actually praying for us. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. I'm sure there are other things that might occupy Jesus' attention that he might rather spend his time doing, but he's being self-controlled and sober-minded, and he's praying right now that First Colony Christian Church would know his love and be able to share his love with the world around him. Because he's doing that, we are called to do that, to be hospitable towards one another, Jesus had this ministry of table fellowship where he invited people, no matter what their background, no matter what their struggles, to come and eat with him at the table. Every Sunday when we come to participate in communion, the Eucharist, when we come to the table, this is us being welcomed to Christ's table. This is his hospitality toward us. He says, come share in my meal. Because he has been hospitable toward us, we then are hospitable towards the people around us. It's God's basis, it's his actions that serve as the foundation for our actions. Just like with grace and forgiveness, right? The moment you find a Christian who can't forgive other people, you've found a Christian who hasn't really realized how much God has forgiven them. The moment you realize how much God has forgiven you, right? All of a sudden it seems very petty to hold grudges against other people. And so when we think through how Jesus serves us through the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we just finished this sermon series on the Spirit. All the spiritual gifts He gives us. The way that the Spirit guides us throughout our lives. And all these ways that often we don't even recognize. And when we think through how God serves us, we, we then look at the people around us in our lives and go, well, well, we have no choice really but to serve them. And so we serve because God has first served us. Just like a body needs exercise to be healthy, I think a Christian needs to serve to be healthy be full to be mature so first we're called to serve because god has served us second i'd like to say that our service is called to be selfless and sacrificial we're called to serve selflessly and we're called to serve in a way that's sacrificial what i mean by that is service is not about us there's a a subtle temptation to pick up the towel in order to get a title does that make sense that we might serve people around us so that we'd be known as being people who are good servants. And all of a sudden, maybe now, we've made a mistake somewhere along the way. It's almost like someone who brags about being humble, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't quite work out that way. There's this temptation to serve, but to have an ulterior motive behind it that, that this service is actually going to be doing something for us. Our service is not ultimately for our benefit. It's for the benefit of others. It's selfless it's selfless so when we go serve we used to have a a homeless ministry we partnered with at the church church under the bridge and we'd go and we'd feed this group of homeless people once a month and we'd have a worship service with them we'd provide clothes for them not one of those people ever ended up coming to the church not one of those people ever ended up tithing not one of those people ever benefited our congregation in any way right? cost effectiveness wise right? we poured a lot of resources in and got nothing back and that's perfectly fine. The goal wasn't to increase our attendance. The goal wasn't to increase our income. The goal wasn't to do any of those things. The goal was simply that there's a group of people who need to be served, and so we wanted to go serve them. It's, it's got to be the selfless act. The goal of, of service has to be selfless. It's just simply to be obedient to, to bless the world around us. Now, don't mistake me. Good things do often happen when we serve, and we do often get benefits from when we serve. I think a church community that's known for meeting the needs of people around it is an attractive church community. We'll find people coming and showing up and saying, what's going on here? Um, I think when you start meeting the needs of people and their families, they start being very interested in in the God that you know and in the worship that you participate in. I think um, service is also maybe one of the best ways community is built. We talked about community last week. Um, I don't know of a better way to build an instant community than to go through some task of service together, right? Think of the bonding that takes place on a mission trip in one week. You have this experience that that kind of bonds you together for the rest of your lives from this task of service. Service, again, I think, takes our, our very first distinctive, engaging our minds, and makes the Bible come alive in our lives, um, I can remember an encounter I had at Kroger years ago where um, I, I'm a late-night shopper, so I'd come in, you know, like 1.30 right before it closed and gotten my stuff And was walking out, and I saw this kind of disheveled um, lady, right, in the front, and I was kind of trying to avoid metanomic eye contact, and she ended up pulling me aside, and we ended up talking for like an hour, an hour and a half, and I gave her some money, and she called her family to come help her out cause her husband had been abusing her, and as I left... All of a sudden, the scripture verse came to mind, right? Where Jesus says, What you did to the least of these, you did to me. And that verse had just always been theoretical in my mind. That it had just always been kind of an idea that I thought was real cute. And was really deep. But then walking away, right? After touching and hugging that woman and praying with her. And and having her tears on my shirt. All of a sudden, the scriptures, my mind was a whole lot more engaged. So there are benefits to serving. There are good things to serving. They just can't, they're not our ultimate motive. Does that make sense? We serve selflessly. We serve just to serve, even though I think a lot of good comes out of service. Um, service also has to think, uh, I think has to be sacrificial. So we're, we're called not to give what's left over of ourselves. We're called to, to give in such a way that it costs us. Give until it hurts, you might say. We're, we're to have the attitude, I think, of whenever and whatever. Whenever the need arises, we can stop what we're doing and meet it. And whatever the need is, we can figure out a way to meet the need. Again, God gave us not his leftovers. God did not give us what he had remaining. God was able and willing to sacrifice. You remember in Genesis 6, God creates the world. It becomes so evil that he he regrets making it. It grieves into his heart. Genesis 6, 5-6 says, God didn't have to experience those emotions. He could have stayed in perfect community, Father, Son, Spirit, for all of eternity and been perfectly happy and content. But because he wanted to serve us and love us, he was willing to sacrifice, to pay a cost for it, ultimately to the highest cost, his own life on the cross. You and I, as we serve, are called to serve sacrificially in a way that that hurts and that costs and that takes from us. Our generosity is, I think, to be a ridiculous generosity. It's above and beyond generosity. So first, we're called to serve because God has served us. Second, our service must be selfless and sacrificial. And then the last thing I'd like to say this morning, we're called to serve both inside and outside the church. We're called to serve both inside and outside the church. And both inside and outside the church, There are two, I think, primary ways you serve. There are programs or institutions or organizations, and then you have kind of individual, spontaneous opportunities to serve. So, for instance, inside the church, I think that that everybody as a part of FCQ should try to be finding a way to serve the body in some sense. And there are organized ways that you can do this. There are programs that you can do this through. We have the children's ministry that you can volunteer, and in this way, serve the body of Christ. Serve the worship team, serve those in the service whose kids are being taken care of. Serve the actual children themselves who are being brought up in the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord. You've got a deacon group, okay, who actually serves on Sunday mornings and makes sure everything's set up and is welcoming people as they enter into the sanctuary. This is a shameless plug. We are in our nomination part of the year, okay, where we're nominating people for leadership for this next year, if you would like to be part of a group, maybe like the deacons or something like that, or on the board, um, come to me or come to um, somebody else who you know is the leader in the church or a staff member and throw your name in the hat. We, we try to come after everybody and we try to you know just give the offer to everybody, but, but perhaps we've never talked to you and it's not because... You, we don't want you to be a part of it, right? It's just an oversight on our half. If, if this is something that's a desire of yours, just throw your name in the hat, and I can almost guarantee you your name will get picked out of the hat, and we'll, we'll find somewhere for you to serve. So you've got programs, just like the church work day last week, right? I mean, you've got times of, of organized service where you can come and serve the church. And then individually, times come up all the time where you notice a need and then you fulfill it. Just a couple of weeks ago, Bowers was in my office, and Bowers is a lot of things. One of the things Bowers is is he's a servant-hearted guy. If you know Bowers, and there's a whole lot of head nodding going on. Bowers came into my office, and he saw that my refrigerator was moldy and nasty, and hadn't been plugged in for a couple of years. If you'll, to be fair on my part, if you'll remember the great flood of 2012 where the walls came crumbling down at FC Cube. Then the contractors came into my office and pushed everything into the middle of the office and put a tarp all around it. It was at that point that my refrigerator was unplugged and everything in my refrigerator went bad and it got moldy and nasty and I had just never gotten around to cleaning it and restoring it, okay? I just pushed it back into the corner. (laughs) Bowers opened it up, saw it, and then the next week, Bowers showed up with a backpack full of cleaning supplies and spent between service and after service cleaning out my refrigerator, right? We didn't need to do it I didn't ask him to do it. He saw a need, and he, he met the need, right? This is something that happens on the daily, constant, at our church. Um, you might not know Melanie, Melanie Nager. Uh, she goes to our first service. She has blessed our church in so many ways. Um, she is an expert at noticing needs, needs that I don't even notice. And she comes and she fills them um, in, in very important and very significant ways, um, We've got people coming up in our church who are about to have kids, right? There are always ways um, that you can serve spontaneously and individually, bring diapers over, bring formula over, help cook a meal. Um, and if you know you, there's a couple parents who maybe haven't been on a date night, asked to babysit their kids. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways that you can look around the church community and serve people around you, help people move, make um, meals for people. And I can tell you all of these things have been done at the church. All of these things have been things that have been organized and have been done as people have had needs and had those needs met. Outside of the church, you have things as well. So we're a charter a coalition church with East Forb and Human Needs Ministry. Um, this is where we want to push a lot of our volunteer time and manpower and money. Um, they have lots of opportunities to serve and to volunteer. And so outside of the church, this is a great place to go and institutionally, organizationally help go alongside them and serve. Outside of the church as well, we have um, different things that we presented before you. The prison ministry we had presented a few weeks ago is a great way to go and serve outside of the church walls. Um, individually, there's all kinds of spontaneous opportunities, I think, to serve around you. Um, you have neighbors, and you have family members, and you have coworkers. and there are all kinds of needs that may present themselves that you might be able to meet. And So we're called to serve, I think, both inside and outside the church. And I'd like to end today by asking a couple questions. The first question is, are you serving? Are you serving? Do you feel like there's a genuine way that you're serving and pouring into the church community to first call into Christian church? That you are, are serving inside the church? Maybe institutionally or, again, maybe just organically on an individual basis. Maybe you're the silent server. We've got tons of those, and there's nothing wrong with that. Are you serving outside of the church? Are you serving your larger community? Are you looking for ways to meet the needs of other people? Questions you could ask yourself. I think there are two steps to service, okay? The secret sauce here. I think the first is you've got to know about needs. You can't meet needs until you know about them. You've got to locate them. You've got to be aware of them. Oftentimes, people fall through the cracks. If you find yourself saying, I guess I'm not serving people. It's not, I can guarantee you, because there's no one to serve. It's because either you don't want to serve them or you're not aware of the needs. And so maybe you just need to be more attentive to the needs of the church community or the people around you. Who maybe at your workplace, in your neighborhood, is at the bottom of the list. That you can put on the top of your list. And this way serve them with the gifts that God has given you. What missed opportunities are there in your life? So obviously we can't serve every need that comes our way. Um, but again, if we find ourselves maybe convicted that we don't serve enough, most likely there are missed opportunities that we're, we're just not noticing on a daily basis. Um, what obstacles are in our way? I was reading a, a book earlier this week, and it, I came across this quote that said, the, the biggest threat, the biggest danger to spiritual formation In today's world is exhaustion. It's tiredness. And I think that's true in my own life. It's that I get to the end of the day and I'm, I'm just too worn out to focus myself in prayer. To focus myself in the scriptures. Or my day is too busy to take time to meet the needs of the people around me. And so maybe we can self-evaluate our own lives and see what kind of obstacles there are in our lives that maybe keep us from serving the way that God intended us to serve. And then as we come to the table this morning, every, every Sunday we come and participate in communion. We practice open communion. You don't have to be a member to participate. Everyone's invited. But this morning I would ask you, as you come to the table and participate, that you would be reminded of Christ's hospitality, of his service. As you come, you would you would be reminded of how he has welcomed us and how he has served our needs and then be reminded as well of our call to serve and welcome the people around us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning that you have given us. We thank you for the scriptures. We